0: Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that Jesus said yes to satisfy your justice so that your mercy was satisfied and you could say yes to us and receive us into your family. Oh God, we thank you so much for this gospel message that we enjoy and live and spread and oh God I pray this morning that we might not ever lose sight or touch or emotional sense of what you have given to us the sheer weight of the sin that we had has been lifted by the grace of God through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us so that we could be recipients of your mercy O oh God and a merciful God you are your mercies are new every morning great is your faithfulness to us as we turn the corner of a new year O oh God we pray and thank you that you are the one who has helped us in ages past and you are our hope for years to come So, Lord, we just pray this morning as we gather here that our hearts would be ready and willing to respond to your word to us. What a gracious God you are and a merciful God that you would give us your word, that you would enable our hearts to respond to it, that we might live lives that please you. And so, God, I pray that we might recommit ourselves as we begin this year to a faithful, commitment to you O god that you might be our all in all and that we might uh, be faithful servants and disciples of the lord jesus christ as you've called us this privilege of being called into your family joint heirs with christ as we um, journey together as a church family so father i pray for your blessing thank you that you are the god who loves to leave a blessing with the people you love we thank you for that in Jesus name amen well if you were here last week you were privileged to hear one of the great new year's sermons delivered by our own pastor Nick Uh, what a great sermon it was and a huge blessing he got to birth the first sermon of the new year and we so appreciate him. He's such a blessing to us, and um, I want to uh, invite you to pray for him because we have been watching him, our, our pastoral leadership team, we've been watching him for a couple of years now and seeing what God is doing in his life, and, and he's a dynamic young guy. I, th- I think, in fact, if he preached the phone book, we'd be kind of excited, and um, <laughs> He's, he's a dynamic young guy who I love to death, and, uh, and we think highly of him. And more, more importantly, we believe the Lord has put his hand on him. Um, and, and I think you share that with us, that God has especially touched his life. And in light of that, we believe uh, it's important to recognize that call in his life. And so we have, uh, your church leaders, have called an ordination council, which means... Um, Pastor Nick, on January 19th uh, at 7 o'clock, is going to be examined by a bunch of other... I don't want to unnerve him, but he knows this. Be examined by a number of other senior pastors and other leaders in churches with respect to his beliefs, his theology, and his call and his conversion. And, uh, and uh, I, I know he would be really, really pleased if you would, would encourage him by praying for him fervently in these next... Uh, number of days, that God will help him and, um, and encourage him also, not just with prayer, but uh, also just uh, mention something to him too, that you're praying for him and you care for him and you love him, and uh, we believe that he's going to do a great, great job, and that means soon you'll be calling him Reverend Nick Doyle, the Reverend Nick Doyle. So uh, anyway, we're, we're looking forward to that and, and what God is doing in his life. Um, Also, just wanted to give you an update on me. Some people have been asking, you know, you're you're still sitting on that stool up in the platform. Are you not well? And yes, I I'm fine. I'm fine. I I am feeling great these days, and um, I'm sitting because I kind of like it. And uh, (laughs) uh, I played hockey Friday night, so all's good. You need to know that. And um, but Jesus, he I understand he sat down to teach. So if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, right? I may sit, I may stand, I may do whatever, but most importantly, what most, is most important to me is that I teach you the Word of God, and I commit and covenant to do that with you uh, again this year, um, tell you exactly what I think God's Word says, um, even if it's painful or hurts or whatever it does for our lives. I just want you to know that, that I thank you for all your kindness and your love for us, love for our family, love for me. And I want you to know I love you, love you, love you so much. And uh, thank God every day for our congregation and who who we have here in our church family. You mean so, so much to me. So thank you for everything. And we're looking forward to another great year together. Um, I want to share with you the philosophical thoughts of a 90-year-old philosopher who has been bringing philosophical thoughts to our children for these past 90 years since 1926. He was, and we'll see if you can figure out who he is. Um, He was one day sitting on a log and he heard a buzzing sound. He was puzzled and fell to pondering. If there's a buzzing noise... Somebody's making a buzzing noise, and the only reason for making a buzzing noise that I know of is because you're a bee. And then he thought for a long time and said, and the only reason for being a bee that I know of is making honey. And then he got up and said, and the only reason for making honey is so I can eat it. This philosopher is Winnie the Pooh, congratulations, the most self-centered of all those philosophers who've trained our children over the years. It's all about Winnie, in fact, he believed that bees were put on this earth so that he could have honey. The sad reality of this is it hits closer to home than we, I think, would care to admit. Because for so many of us, we are living kind of a Winnie the Pooh philosophy Christianity. That we believe that God exists so he could save us. And that's it. And that we enjoy the practical and self-centered and play it safe comforts of our salvation. I'm here to tell you this morning that that's completely opposite to why God has called us into his family. And I can't think of a better place in the Bible to illustrate that or to discuss it or to discover that than the book of Esther. If you have your Bibles this morning, I need you to turn there because I'm wondering if we as the church, we as God's people, are very practical, too self-centered, and prefer to play it safe, and have downplayed, because of that, have downplayed our identity as followers of Jesus Christ... In the workplaces, in the marketplace, in the schools, wherever we are. I wonder if we've been muting our identity as Christians because it's too costly and maybe too uncomfortable. Because we believe that everything is made for us and we have not identified or correctly paid attention to what we are made for or maybe more correctly, who we are made for. So we've been uh, tracking in this series called God's Rights Over Our Rights and today I want to zero in on God's right to expect your yes when he comes calling. God's right to expect your yes. In fact, clarifying your identity so you can fulfill your destiny. Do you really know who you are? Do you really know your purpose? Do you really know why you are here? Do you really know where you are at this particular moment? Maybe you've been coasting, passive about the things of the Lord. Maybe you've been blending in or trying to blend in or putting God off. If you have, I'm going to tell you that God is going to allow your life to be messed with. And maybe, he's, maybe that's happening in your life right now. Maybe he's allowing your life to be messed with in your relationships or in your marriage or in your uh, workplace, your employment, maybe in your health, maybe with your finances. I'm not sure what, but, but God will allow you to be messed with until you get this thing right. Your identity, who you are, whose you are, what is your purpose? There will come a moment If you have been declaring independence or have been calling out to God and reminding Him of your so-called charter of rights and freedoms, there will come a moment, or maybe many of them, several of them, maybe you've faced several of them already, but there will come really a defining moment where you are called upon by God to choose whether you're going to live for your own personal comfort or be a passionate follower, disciple of Jesus Christ. You will see why this is a companion sermon to what Pastor Nick preached last Sunday. Quite honestly, and he preached from the Bible, they're all companion sermons. There is a flow to the Bible, there is a continuity to the Bible, there is a, a, a continuous message to the Bible, and it is a call from God for your heart, for your passion, for your commitment. So, are you going to keep dabbling, or are you going to dive in? Are, are you going to keep sampling? the Lord, or are you going to sign up to really be a passionate, committed follower of Christ? Are you going to be a Sunday spectator? Or are you going to be a daily disciple? This is a, a time when, when you come to the front end of a year to really ask yourself those kinds of questions. Particularly if you say, hey, you know what, I was dissatisfied with where things went spiritually in my life last year. I wasn't really there with, with where I think I could be. This is a great time to allow God's Word to to push your heart to another level. And I, I really I think the text that we're going to look at this morning does just that. Are you who you're supposed to be or are you just pretending? Are you doing what you've been made to do, or are you hiding from what you were made to do? Just like you can't be partially pregnant, you can't be a passive disciple. This is an oxymoron. This isn't true. Christ's mission is to be fully formed in you. Can, can you hear that again? Christ's mission is to be fully formed in you. That means that the, the process of this journey, the work of this journey that God has you on, is toward the fullness of Christ formed in you. So that when we look at each other, when others look at us, they are looking into the face of Jesus Christ. So how's it looking in the mirror these days? Who's looking back at you? Jesus? Or so much of you? Well, let's, uh, let's look at the text. If, if, if I understand... Um, This story of Esther and we kind of pushed out an email blast to you this this week to invite you to read the whole book because you just don't give me enough time to preach you the whole book. So I'm going to have to pick and choose here and you're going to need to know the story a little bit but I'll do my best to help you with the story to try and orientate ourselves to the time that this is. Remember the last several weeks we've been talking about Isaiah and the prophecies of Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah told the people, told God's people, the Jews, he said to them, you can pick Emmanuel or Tiglath-Pileser Third, God with us or the Assyrian king. And they picked T.P. Third. If you pick him, you are going into exile. Well, Within several years, the 10 northern tribes of Israel were assimilated into the Assyrian Empire, 722 BC. They didn't pay attention to Isaiah's Isaiah's prophecies. They ignored him, continued in their sinful ways, disregarding God, being, being passionate about their faith, ignoring God, not choosing this watershed moment of choose God or choose, they chose themselves. And so, as God had warned them, they went into exile, into Assyria. Basically, the ten tribes of Israel that went into Assyria, the northern tribes, have been dispersed into the nations and never reformed to this day. Now, the two southern tribes that were remaining, Judah and Benjamin, were also told by Isaiah, choose Emmanuel. But they didn't. 120 years approximately later than that they went into captivity to the Babylonian Empire about 605 BC and as the prophets had told them they would be in exile for 70 years and they were in the kingdom of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar and other rulers we get to this moment here in Esther 30 years after that approximately By this time, Persia has dominated the Middle Eastern world. They've conquered Babylon, and now Persia's in charge. So this is about 100 years after the exile of the southern tribes. And you have Jews now exiled, scattered over Persia. By the way, Babylonians were Iraq, and now Iran is in charge. The Persian Empire was quite extensive in fact it says in the text here that that it covered from india to ethiopia greater than the babylonian conquest and empire you have jews scattered throughout persia and throughout babylon and you also have jews who were allowed to return to jerusalem you have them scattered all over but in this particular setting in the setting of esther they are in the capital of persia susa this is a story about the capital susa So Isaiah had warned them and they cycled into exile. Ironically, this story, Esther, explains to the Jews the uh, genesis of their feast called the Feast of Purim, which means the feast of, ironically, the feast of luck or the feast of dice or the feast of good fortune. Uh, The book of Esther never mentions God directly, It's one of those strange anomalies in the Scriptures. In fact, there's been much critique and and, and much uh, uh, discussion about the book of Esther and its uh, legitimacy to be placed in the canon of Scripture. But for any of you who've read the story, you realize that while God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, He is everywhere (laughs) present in what's going on. And frankly, it's one of those great books to drag out and talk about at the beginning of a year because you know so regularly in our lives we can't maybe see the presence of God directly in our lives but he is everywhere in the background influencing and impacting and directing our lives he is and Esther gives us that assurance that God has got you regardless of what's happening what it looks like on the outside that's an important story important reality So we get to this particular situation in in Esther, and um, um, it it is uh, the idea of the dice, the the good luck, the good fortune, um, relates to the the fact that um, there is this wicked guy in the story named Haman. Uh, Haman uh, is a leading official in the uh, empire of Persia, and he takes a dislike to a Jew named Mordecai. Uh, He takes a dislike to Mordecai because he was given the right by the king to be so important in the uh, the culture that people are required to bow down to him. But Mordecai, being a Jew, refuses to bow down uh, to Haman. So Haman hates him and decides that he will kill him or have him killed. But not only will he have him killed, he decides he'll kill the whole race of Jews that he represents. So now you have this edict that is uh, uh, endorsed by the leader of Persia, Xerxes, the king of Persia, who who offers this edict that there will be an ethnic cleansing of all Jews from India to Ethiopia. There's another story going on whereby the king, King Xerxes, decides that he will give out discovery passes for 180 days to his greatness. If you open up your Bibles and you notice in the first chapter that the story begins this way, for a full 180 days, verse 4, he, meaning Xerxes, displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. As I started to read this story and I read wherever a, a human being describes his glory, his majesty, and his splendor, I always go, "Oh, oh not a good idea. There is only one in the universe that can talk about glory and majesty and splendor, and it's not a man or a woman it is the lord of glory and he alone so when you read this you realize oh my the uh, kingdom of persia is now maybe going to face some reckoning so he decides to hold this 180 day giveaway discovery pass to his greatness and then hold a special seven-day party after that when you've conquered the world You can throw parties and so he did his queen by the name of queen vashti decides to have a spa and a and a a pedicure day for her for all the girls it's in the text well maybe not exactly like that but it's sort of in the text Uh, king xerxes decides as the wine is flowing and the drunker he gets that he's going to parade his gorgeous queen in front of all his buddies so they can say eat your hearts out boys look who i have and she refuses to accept his summons imagine a woman rejecting the command of her husband would such would never happen she gets all feminist on us and uh the first starts to fly i'm not making this up she refuses the king so in verse 18 of chapter 1 it says this very day the persian and median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way there will be no end of disrespect and discord the guys get nervous If the queen can rebuff the king, then all of our wives are going to rebel against us. So the solution is offered in verse 22. The king, verse 21, and his nobles were pleased with this advice they got. So the king did as Mamukin proposed. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom. To each province in its own script, and to each people in its own language, proclaiming in each people's tongue that every man should be ruler over his own household. End of sermon. Now that's the way to start a year. Well, so that the ladies will stay with me, we have a lot more to talk about this morning. I want to share with you that there are three crises, if, if we are understanding this text right about our identity and clarifying our identity, there are three crises that each of us are going to face in our life on the route, on the journey to clarifying our identity. And the first one is this, and it's, it's interesting how this little domestic scuffle God used to deal with the first one. The first one is the assimilation crisis. You will face an assimilation crisis. Your salvation is purposeful even if you are tending to hide from its purposes. What we all need to know in, in the backdrop of all that I've just t- t- told you is that the king, king Xerxes is so um, angry with his wife that he deposes her as queen. She's no longer allowed to come into his presence and he decides to go looking for a new queen. The new queen that ultimately... Um, is his choice, is a woman by the name of Hadassah. That's her Jewish name, at least. But she was hiding her Jewishness at the beckon of a man by the name of Mordecai, who was her cousin who raised her, probably because he thought she would never be accepted in the palace as the potential queen if uh, in fact she were identified as a Jew so her name is Esther that's her Persian name Esther now becomes Queen she's beautiful she's uh, the choice of King Xerxes but in the in the text we read where she continues to hide her Jewishness in verse 10 of chapter 2 Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so and the king couldn't care less about her ethnic background she was just beautiful and all he cared about is what was on the outside In verse 20 it says but esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as mordecai had told her to do for she continued to follow mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up the only way that a jew could keep themselves uh, hidden is they must not have been practicing worship they must not have been uh, celebrating the feasts of the jewish uh, um, community and therefore uh, basically, Esther was assimilating or blending into the pagan culture around her. And we are led to believe, of course, by this, the, by this story and by history and by reading Ezra and by reading Nehemiah, that the Jews were also assimilating into the culture that they were in exile. We know this because there's a lot of of time spent in ezra and in nehemiah about the fact that the uh the the families um the the jew the male jews were marrying women uh from other uh nationalities other pagan races now i want you to know right up front that god is not opposed to inter-ethnic marriage god is opposed to interfaith marriage throughout all of the scriptures we are told to to marry but marry in the lord only and so the big problem here is that the jews were marrying persian women they were marrying babylonian women they were marrying women from all from india to ethiopia and what we find out is that these women came with their language And they were teaching their children their language, the language of the mother, not the language of the Jewish father. The problem with that is these children were learning, they were not learning Hebrew, they were learning the mother tongue of their mothers, which was separating them from knowing the scriptures of God. And so a whole generation were being raised up who didn't know God because they didn't know the language of God's word. And it took this spat of a king and a queen for God to move the hearts of these pagans to cause an edict to be put forth whereby the male language, the language of the man in the home would be the language that would be spoken. That's what comes out of verse 22. So behind the scenes, God is making a complete and major reform and overhaul of what was taking place That was displeasing to him that the children might learn hebrew and therefore might know the word of god all the while esther's hiding her jewishness because they were assimilating into the culture and when we assimilate into the culture we at least put our children at risk the danger of living in a secular culture or a spiritual exile or whatever you want to call it. And by the way, this applies to us. We are currently, I think you know this, we are living in spiritual exile. We are living in a secular culture. Canada is a secular culture. And the danger of living in a secular culture is in becoming secularized yourself and so used to sin that it becomes the acceptable way of life because everybody around you is doing the same thing they're living in complete um opposition to god so the question that surfaces out of this text is can true faith be preserved at a distance because these people are in exile. They've moved far away from Jerusalem. They've moved far away from the hub of their spiritual focus, of of the fire of God. So the question that comes out of this text is, is it possible for God's people to live at a distance and still be true to their faith? That's an important question for us to answer, because that question has to be answered. Not only can you be away from Jerusalem and maintain your faith but can you be away from the gathering of God's people at church here and maintain your faith can can you be um can you be apart young person college person whatever apart from your parents and maintain your true faith these are important questions to answer because if Christianity is only a localized thing that will work in one geographic location then it's not going to be very successful if being if what it means to serve the living god is a geographic issue or a tribal issue then it's not going to be an international reality we need to know that now and so this is what they're facing here the question is is can it be preserved and and esther's jewishness went unnoticed And she was putting all of her people at risk as a result of that. And you are putting your family at risk if you are allowing yourself to be assimilated, secularized, used to sin of our culture. Because you are being swallowed up by the culture around you. And so God uses Haman, this wicked guy, to shake spiritual sanity into his people. This act whereby the king says, all the Jews will be exterminated, and he shakes the dice and decides which day it's going to be, is a horrendous event. It says that in chapter 4, it says that the people were fasting, verse 3, weeping and wailing. The Jews were in great distress. In a matter of days, we're all going to be destroyed because we have failed even though we've been sent into exile to respond with passion to God and here we are facing judgment again but this judgment was so that they would spiritual sanity would be shaken into their lives that they would up their God dependency game face because if the Jews were exterminated from India to Ethiopia there is no hope for Calvary Baptist Church why do I say that? because if the Jews from India to Ethiopia had have been exterminated there would be no Messiah how serious was this moment that was presented to Esther it hardly gets more serious than this And you may not understand the nature of the watershed moment God has you on because you can't see the future. But I can tell you that when God puts you in a place to make a decision of commitment to Him, it's a very serious matter. And if you are hiding, if you are allowing yourself to be assimilated into the culture, It will catch up with you and not in a good way. Too regularly, God's people allow themselves to become enmeshed in partnerships and relationships and connections with the secular, with the pagan that become extremely painful to disentangle very uncomfortable to pull yourself away from those connections and relationships that you should have never made in the first place those partnerships that you were never invited to make to fulfill your destiny in god so it's better at the front end to do this and i'm going to give you a statement if you do not separate you will assimilate and i'm not talking about becoming insular or isolated from lost people but i am talking about assimilating into the culture of lost people if you do not separate And make a distinction in how you live and how you think and how you believe you will become assimilated so you and I at this front end of a year have to face the question are you a servant of the Living God are you a full-fledged citizen of the kingdom of heaven or are you one of them this is a question we have to answer Are you one of them? Because the first in the journey to an identity crisis and settling the identity crisis is to determine who you are not. I'm not one of them. I I don't want to count myself among the lost, the sinful, the wicked. I'm not one of them. So it means that I live differently. so esther had not been taking and living as a jew or taking her jewishness seriously in fact she'd been living by a persian name i want you to know that god is always going to come to you and he's always going to invite you to clarify your name who you are not rick but throughout the scriptures we've talked about this we've seen this presented time and time again when jacob stood before god he said your name is israel remember when peter Uh, at Caesarea Philippi Simon son of John I'm calling you Peter because on this rock I will build my church in the reality of God his name is placed somewhere and he placed his name in the temple it bears his name and we find out as New Testament saints that we are the temple of the living God which means that he has placed his name on us my, uh, my name isn't really Rick. It's it's in Christ. That's my name. I bear the name of the Living God. You have to know your name. That's your identity. And so Esther had to die. You have to die. Rick has to die so that Christ will be fully formed in me. So that the name of God that I bear is expressed in my life deny yourself take up your cross and follow me is that what jesus said he's clarifying identity there he's saying who are you are you going to bear the name of jesus or are you going to continue to carry your name and be self-centered and be all about you that's what jesus asks us this is the very same thing that is presented to esther esther what's your name you got to drop the Persian name Esther and go back to Hadassah because Hadassah now has to take the stage. Your people are at risk. The purposes of God are at risk. The living God and his name and all that he stands for is at risk. And make no mistake about it, Mordecai says to Esther. If you don't step forward and clarify who you are, Salvation will come from another place, but you and your family will die I'm talking right now about the discipleship crisis There's the assimilation crisis, and now you hit in your life the discipleship crisis And that's where we as a congregation are bringing ourselves We're bringing ourselves to a discipleship crisis We've been doing this for the last number of years clarifying who we are, clarifying who we are individually as disciples of Jesus Christ, because our situation is not coincidental, even if we are presently living as if it is. All of us, every single one of us must face the do you love God moment or yourself moment. Every single one of us. Remember when Jesus, he died and he rose again and he came to the Sea of Galilee and he was meeting his disciples all over again and he speaks to the the disciple Peter and and, uh, at the end of John and he asks Peter a question. Do you remember the question that he asked Peter? Peter, what does he say to him? Do you love me? That question continues to echo down through the ages. Jesus continues to ask you and me the same question. It's the discipleship crisis question. Rick, do you love me or do you love yourself? Esther, do you love God or do you still love yourself? It's the moment of a disciple or being bypassed because you and your father's family will perish. Listen, you can't try to save that life or you will lose this life. Esther, if you try to save that life, the life of being a queen, hiding who you are, you will lose this life. And Jesus says the same thing to us whoever tries to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Do you love me, Jesus says, or do you love your life? Because if you love your life, you will lose it. But if you love me, you will find life. Esther, you and your family will die if you don't make the right choice. And the simple reason is this. And this is the New Year battle for our total surrender. God is forcing all of our faith out of the closet. That's what He's doing. And He's doing it with Esther, He's flushing her out of the closet. Because our situation is about discipleship. Esther was queen. Was given the attributes and opportunities of queen not to be queen, but to be the deliverer of Israel. Do you see that? Look what he says. Look what Mordecai says to her. Verse 14 for if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place but you and your father's family will perish and who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this this is a critical thing for all of us to understand Esther had the attribute she had the opportunity to be Queen but not to be Queen but to be deliverer of Israel Now i'm going to give you a question right now that how you answer that question will determine whether you struggle with the with the the issue of discipleship or whether you nail it and the question is this are you a christian who happens to be a teacher or a retailer or a doctor or a dentist or a housewife or whatever you are or are you a teacher a doctor a retailer who happens to be a christian how do you answer that question because how you answer that question will determine whether or not you struggle day in and day out with a discipleship crisis are you a christian who happens to be blank or are you blank who happens to be a christian Do you know how to answer that question are you wondering about it no you know how to answer that question i'll answer it for you i am a christian who happens to be a pastor i am not a pastor who happens to be a christian how you answer that in your life will determine whether or not you continue to struggle with the discipleship mandate it's about jesus first your position is about discipleship. Everything that we've been given by God is a front for discipleship. Our role in life, our calling in life, our uh, who we are is about discipleship. I am a Christian who happens to be a pastor. I am first a Christian and a pastor after that. A pastor who, who, who is passionate about the Christian reality of my life. This is what esther was required to do unless you first see yourself as a disciple of jesus you will significantly struggle with the scriptural model of discipleship everything a christian does is a front for discipleship everything everything you have you must view your present placement as a platform for god's greater purposes so once you've clarified what you are not you have to decide who you are because if you don't decide who you are, you won't understand what to do with where you are. And that makes all the difference in the world. Esther finally realized what she could do with where she was because she finally knew who she was. Esther became Hadassah. And if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish, but I will not shrink back From faith in the living God to deliver his people. And if it's me, Esther, the influencer, then so be it. And this finalizes our time together. Esther resigned to die. And she had good reason to resign to die. Because you couldn't go to the presence of Xerxes unless you were summoned. And she wasn't summoned. In fact, in the culture, seven eunuchs were attending the king. They were the only ones who could go in and out. That's why there's an exchange of discussion between eunuchs and the queen in the text. They could go in and out to the presence of the king, but nobody else could. The king was easily bored. He drank way too much, so he was drunk regularly. And he was fickle. So if you think this was easy for Esther because she was queen, Think again. She was signing her death sentence. She was denying herself, taking up her cross and following God. That's what it means. But she didn't go alone. Verse 15 Esther sent this reply to Mordecai Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susan, fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. This is the final crisis, and we'll wrap it up quickly. It's the spiritual energy crisis. Your faithfulness will be rewarded, even if you are living right now as if it won't. She didn't go to the king of her own physical strength. She called on God's people, her community, to pray and fast, to garner up spiritual resources for strength and courage, boldness, but more importantly, the blessing of Almighty God and His power. This is the crisis for the new year. Are you going to continue to live by your own flesh or trust in the living God? Are you going to go it alone or are you going to gather a community around you and pray together and challenge each other and hold each other accountable? Because you got to know when everybody's praying and fasting for three days and they're praying and fasting for something that you've called to do, that you're going to do, they're going to come to you and say, okay, let's do this. There's no going back. There's no hiding in the corner, afraid that God might, come not, might not come through, so I'm not going to say what I want to do. Too many of us are afraid to be bold in the Lord, and we're afraid that he won't come through. Listen, we don't have to protect God's reputation by being faithless. It's personally unhealthy to choose fear over faith. And remember, those who are opposing God's people are opposing God himself. And he is jealous over his people. He loves his people. And he will protect his people. So what do you do when you need to have the heart of the king moved? You go to his king. What do you do when you need your boss heart moved? You go to his king. And by the way, king, capital king, God himself is the king over all people in this world. You need some help. You need something done. Go talk to the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. So don't move forward on a spiritual mission until you stockpiled your life with spiritual resources. So what's your identity this 2017? This settles the question of who you are, whose you are, and who you aren't. Are you going to be all in? Or are you going to shrink back? You're going to fulfill your destiny or play it safe, comfortable? You're going to wear your faith proudly, like a uniform? The fact that nobody knew Esther was a Jew is not something that I encourage any of you to follow. If I went to your workplace. Or your place of learning and asked people about you and not once did they mention well they're kind of religious they might not get it right they, they seem to be very committed to God if I didn't hear that there's something wrong with our discipleship You were made to matter, and to believe that you matter, and to believe that things matter, and to believe that the way things should be matters. You were made for this. Who knows, but that you were made for such a time as this. Our Father, I pray and I ask you to strengthen our hearts, In this crisis of life where you allow the mess of life to press spiritual sanity back into our lives I pray that we will not ignore our moment to declare who we really are and to live it out with passion may this be the year of discipleship oh God throughout the mass of this congregation for your great name's sake. Amen. So, what is your identity crisis issue? What is God tapping you on the shoulder about this coming year? Maybe it's to come to Christ itself. Maybe you haven't come to Him. Maybe it's a matter of commitment to Him, serving Him. Maybe uh, it's baptism. Maybe you haven't been baptized. Maybe you, you, you need to speak to someone at your workplace. You haven't really identified yourself where you are as a, as a passionate follower of Christ. Maybe it's to be part of a small group ministry. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're more passionate about God in terms of uh, your commitment to Him and finances. There are any number of things that are discipleship crisis. For Esther, it was, are you going to use your throne for your comfort or for your commitment to God Now you may be saying to yourself, you know, she's a queen, I, you know, she was in a powerful position of influence. I, I don't have that kind of a place in life What, what, what difference does it make for with me? Let, let me just share a couple of things with you about Some names that'll sound very familiar to you DL Moody pastor of the great Chicago Church great evangelist great man of God used to found a tremendous church and a whole education movement in theology led a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman to the Lord who became an evangelist and was a great evangelist at Garden Pacific Mission and at that Pacific Mission he led a man to the Lord by the name of Billy Sunday who was a baseball player for the Chicago White Stockings Billy Sunday uh, became a passionate evangelist and led uh, a person by the name of Mordecai Ham to the Lord. Mordecai Ham became a great evangelist, and Mordecai Ham led Billy Graham to the Lord. Billy Graham became a great evangelist, as you know, and has led many, many people to the Lord, but the story doesn't start there at all. The story really begins in Boston with an obscure, unknown Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was working in his uncle's shoe store as a stock clerk. And from his place of employment, he met a guy one day by the name of Dwight Lyman Moody and he shared Christ with him. And he became A great evangelist who led an evangelist who led an evangelist who led an evangelist who led an evangelist to Billy Graham the story began with Edward Kimball a faithful unknown name to all of you probably Sunday school teacher who decided that his employment place was a front for discipleship So, what are you going to do in 2017 by God's strength? He's got great things. When God comes calling, he knows the greatness of the future. How many thousands of lives have been changed because Edward Kimball was faithful in that shoe store that many years ago? Let's have a different 2017, okay? Let's offer our lives to God in a fresh way for whatever he has for us. Make that decision today. Father, I pray, I ask you to use our lives, give us boldness and courage. May we not settle for Winnie the Pooh Christianity, self-centered, practical, safe. May we choose Christ and the adventure of giving our lives over to him for great and glorious things in your name, I pray. Amen.